Hello, I'm Tina Marie St. Cyr, and welcome to Light Your Life, the podcast. I believe our dreams have energy, calling, and purpose, and that when we move in their direction, our lives become even more joyful, fulfilled, and effortless. This podcast gives you insights to the strategies our guests use to overcome obstacles and manifest their dreams in business, career, relationships, and in life. Listen to find new levels of energy, perspective, and courage. Your journey to light your life begins now. Hello and welcome to the Light Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Tina Marie St. Cyr, and it's always great to be with you. We bring you the lives of people that are amazing and have come through their own trials and tribulations and challenges, like all of us, and they share their advice and their stories so that you can learn how to surmount your own odds and take a bit of wisdom and apply it to your life today. So our guest today is a dear friend, and we've already started having some laughs before we even hit the record button. And so we (laughs) said, let's hit the record button sooner. And I want you to be able to meet Ramesh. Ramesh is a tech startup CEO. He's also an actor, musician, a landlord, copywriter, and a lawyer. That is right. I did say the L word there. He spent the last five years practicing personal injury law and is on a mission to double car accident settlements for the accident victims by replacing lawyers with technology. You're hearing it here first. He lives in New Orleans with his beautiful wife, Aniko, and their two beautiful little girls. And you get to put the wonderful wisdom of Ramesh in your ear right now. So Ramesh, thank you so much for being our guest today on Light Your Life. Thanks for having me. That was a lovely intro. I couldn't have done it better myself. (laughs) There you go. It's going to be so much fun. In fact, today we are talking about how you can win in life without planned out goals. Totally. Yes. That's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) For those people that don't like project plans, the task list, the check marks, the things that you think that you're a responsible human being on the planet, you've got somebody on your side in Ramesh. (laughs) Ramesh, we're going to get to talk about what it's like to be a new CEO tech startup at the age of 39. Talk about your startup. I can't wait to share this with everybody. And how do you balance life or not even care about balancing life, but really get fulfillment and enjoyment out of it? Because you're a dad, you're an awesome husband. There's so many sides of your particular diamond. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Um, so in terms of the, the startup, um, yeah. Injurly, the name of the company is called Injurly, and it is an AI-driven app-based service that allows people to manage their car accident claims directly from their smartphones. Um, throughout my practice of encountering a lot of clients, I what I've noticed is that accident claim payouts are actually not as high as people think. They're only like $15,000 on average. And, you know, as a lawyer, uh, we take on a, a significant amount of risk. So we ask for, you know, a third of that claim, which could be upwards of $5,000. And I started thinking to myself, wow, you know, as I started doing, doing the work, um, it just turns out that a lot of it is just like a checklist of items and that insurance companies are willing to pay once you hit all the, the check, the check marks. And I figured, well, software is really good at, you know, showing, you know, showing people the way. And I, I've, truly fundamentally believe you just need a guide. You don't need a lawyer for accident claims. And so I decided to shift my practice, um, shift away from practicing law full-time and start on this new business idea and venture at the ripe old age of 39, (laughs) young tech startup guy. Um, And hopefully, you know, inspire people through my success that you can reach for the stars, do the things that are passionate and meaningful to you, despite being a husband, despite being a father, despite having varying interests. And I think that's 
kind of the crux of what I wanted. This is kind of a revelation that's been happening for me as I like realize that I am horrible at goal planning. I'm horrible at meeting those goals. I have lots of trauma in my past that like prevent me from like moving the needle in those ways. And I would shame myself for not meeting those goals. So I wouldn't even write them down anymore. I was like, there's just no point. Um, And I think there's certain challenges associated with that that we could talk about. But overall, um, I think my new mindset strategy is like, Mm -hmm. move the needle, just move it a little bit. And if you move it a little bit every day for years, and you got to take the long game on this, yeah, then the needle gets moved really far, you know? And so I think that's my new mantra every day, just how can I move the needle just a little bit today? There you go. And they say small changes over a period of time equal big results. And that's sort of counter to some of what we may be seeing in the media, at least, or social media about these tech startups that seem to bloom overnight and then everybody's a billionaire. So whenever you decided to start a tech startup, did you have that mindset? You know, like, how do I compete in a marketplace where everybody's vying for each other's investment dollar? And how do I stay viable to a market and do it fast so that I become one of those? Was that ever in your mind? Yeah, no, I, I, it, is, it is always on my mind. I think that culturally speaking, we are in a, a place where moving fast and failing fast is part of the mantra of, at least in the tech world, it's true for all industries. And I think that's, that's that can be challenging when you're trying to start a new company, when you're trying to get investors on board, they want things done very quickly. Um, and, and that pursuit of moving the needle might require revving it up at times in ways that, you know, you just can't really have a whole lot of control over because you're competing in a very competitive marketplace. So I, I totally can relate to that um, entirely. So yeah, it, it definitely has been on my mind. Um, I definitely struggle with that notion. Um, you do, do move slowly and, and grow organically. A lot of the tech startups that you've heard about, actually, the ones that are you know becoming public companies today have been around for 10 years. And that's kind of like when a venture capitalist is thinking about the future of investment. I believe that they're not looking for returns in the next couple of years or looking for returns in five to 10 years. Um, and if you happen to be one of those companies that can grow incredibly quickly in those first few years, you're really lucky. Um, most, most other companies take some time to grow. So I'm yeah. okay with that. And so tech companies like uber or you know name some that we may have thought since they're now an app on my phone oh they must be new (laughs) they they actually had a long history prior to us ever in the marketplace knowing that they were available service yeah completely lyft is a good example because i read their story and lyft was a company that you know i had no idea that it started out as a very different service early on um and it, it took a long it took a it took several years before it kind of transformed and pivoted into the service it became but it originally it was like a a service that i think it started in ithaca at cornell one of the founders was from there wow. and he they would just uh I think, I think it, it had to do with some Chinatown buses and things like that, where you can just move people quickly over for a small amount of uh, a fee. Um, and that was the original concept was like, how do we move college students from one place to like a major city? Um, and, you know, but that over time eventually became Lyft and those stories are, you know, replete in the whole tech world. So mm-hmm. I love that. And so let's go to your tech world. Sure. In your tech world is the knowing, which I did not know that the average settlement, I guess you're saying it's 20,000 or less as far as, you know, we hit each other and we meet new friends on the freeway, hopefully not right. injuring each other too much, but yeah. those things are coming. I mean, it happens, right? And yeah. we program the MO is as soon as this happens, you know, we make a police report, we exchange each other's information. And then whenever it's something that is, you know, there's an injury involved or there's 
definite, you know, massive damages to the vehicle, we involve a lawyer to help us get more out of the claim than we would typically settle by ourselves with insurance. And so you're saying that that's a normal, like it's just a checkbox list of things that most people would have to go through and then you get a settlement, but the lawyers don't necessarily, aren't, aren't necessarily needed in that transaction. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that there are kind of two boats there. There are 85% of car accident claims settle for somewhere between 15 and $18,000, depending on the statistical year that you're choosing. Um, there are over 6 million accidents a year. There are $5 million, 5 million accidents end in property damage claims, 1.8 million injuries uh, from car accidents annually. There's over $200 billion in losses in the United States alone. Um, so what happens is there's so much marketing uh, put out there by personal injury lawyers who have the funds to do this. And these are just the few and far between ones. There are thousands of PI lawyers nationwide, a lot of small firm type stuff that do not advertise. People like me who really just didn't spend a lot on advertising, but the people you see on like Super Bowl commercials locally and TV and billboard stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so they educate the marketplace in a way that is very effective, which is let's do fear-based marketing, make you think that the insurance company is this big, bad machine that's just trying to, you know, make more money for their shareholders and hold you down, which to a certain extent, you know, the low payout of claims initially um, is is indicative of that. So like, I don't think anyone, me included, is like, hey, insurance company, you're trying to help me out. I think we already no. culturally know that. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't, I don't think that the, um, I think that the claims themselves usually end in, in the 15 to $18,000 range for most claims, not just not because people aren't badly injured or whatnot, because the level of minimum insurance mm. that you have on your car accident, on your car insurance nationwide is fairly low compared to the health costs associated with it. So like, right. you know, you're just not going to get a lot of payouts. And now the other side of that is like, as a consumer, you, you're probably in one or two accidents your entire life and you're busy with your life. There's a lot of stuff happening and going on. So like, you just don't really know how to go about taking care of this brand new thing that just happened right. to like drop in your lap. You know, no one's really happy about it. Yeah. Um, and, and as I did the practice, what I noticed is that you would have like a paralegal, a legal assistant and a lawyer and the paralegal and legal assistant would basically move the cases forward slowly. Um, and you'd, they'd manage hundreds, 200 cases in the big, in the big firms. Um, mm -hmm. And the lawyer's involvement is very minimal as it relates to most of these smaller claims. Their big involvement is usually for the larger claims that might mm -hmm. be a half a million and a million dollar claims. But Makes it's sense. like getting struck by lightning or winning the lottery. Those cases are so few and far between. But like the marketing that's pushed consistently is like this, hey, you know, Jack got me, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, or like strong arm, you know, strong arm the uh, yeah. insurance company and ringed a, a million dollars out of them. That's right. just, you know, that's just not true for most right. claims. Yeah. yeah, I understand that. And so, yeah. as as with many things that are common in our world, things that we would take for granted otherwise, including Uber or Lyft, you know, right. we used to call taxis for that whenever we needed it. And yeah. even such, you know, have a designated driver. Well, hello, Uber's that now. And so yeah, um, right. it's disruptive. So there's disruptive technology that is coming, becoming commonplace across the board. And you're seeing that this industry that's been there for a long time is now ripe for disruption. It's my personal belief that it is. I think with the lawyers I talk to about <laughs> it, they're like, there's no way that'll work. And look, I think just like anything, it takes time to figure out how to change 
the chessboard that originally existed. And I think that through iterating the process, figuring out what is the user experience. And, you know, for most consumers who are in a car accident, it's not only a, it's not only awful to have to deal with the insurance company. Usually they get signed up really quick with one of these law firms. They mm-hmm. think they're going to talk to a lawyer most for most of the case. They're really just talking to the paralegal and they're great. They're well-trained, but at the end of the day, the expectation of the flow of transparency and information is, mm-hmm. is not being expressed. Um, at the get at the get go, um, right. and oftentimes at the end of it, they finally talk to a lawyer again, and he's got this settlement amount that is just not on par with what they were led to believe through the marketing. They thought they might get a million dollar case, and it turns out that they didn't, or they thought they would get you know fifty thousand dollars at the end because the lawyer takes a third, doctors will take a third. You know, for the average case, you're getting five to seven thousand. And I thought to myself, well, if I could build a company that at some point either you know, at least initially might lower that fee 10 or 15%. And then over time can eventually double, double that. What would that mean for the average person? That would, you know, how many hours in a, in a week do they work to make an extra $5,000? I mean, that could be substantial for the bulk of people in, in the U.S. Um, exactly. It probably wouldn't work for people who have plenty of money because they don't really care about that. They'd rather just hire their lawyer that they knew. But most people don't know lawyers um, and right. they don't really trust them. Rightfully yeah. so, I think, personally. Yeah. It, it's a belief system in the marketplace, definitely. Yeah. And so you you tapped into this not only idea, but it was also a soul connection with you because you're that heart-based guy that says, I want to do what's right. I, I want to return the money. It's almost like that um, Robin Hood effect. Uh, yeah. I want to return the money to the people who were the victims of the accident because that's where the money was initially meant to go, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that yeah, gives you I- energy in your life? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think that like my my brother died when I was 24, 24 years old, unexpectedly mm-hmm. in a hospital as a result of um, medical negligence, and you know, I didn't I didn't really have plans on being a lawyer. That just wasn't wasn't really in my DNA. Um, I was studying to go to med school. Um, decided to stop doing that because I just didn't want to be in hospitals and have to take care of sick people like my brother. Something about that at that age just seemed too much for me. Um, and so I think my story into getting into practicing this area of law, um, I think came from a heart based place of understanding what it's like to feel like a victim and have zero power. And I think culturally we see in this world, this great, this huge disempowerment and disenfranchisement of the average person, um, who just works and works and works and just does not see their asset class, their asset base increase substantially over time. There is no wealth increase there's a huge division of of um division between the the top one percent and the bottom 99 percent. so i think it is incumbent upon people of privilege in my opinion and i believe i am one of them um people who have been given opportunities that maybe others didn't have uh, and for me personally obviously it struck an internal chord but what i thought to myself what can i do in my own life where do i have domain expertise that maybe i can move the needle a little bit in this direction to maybe affect a big change, like a butterfly effect. And I think the thinking is quite big. I'm not, I'm a big thinker, but have never been a real like great executor um, and and have a ton of belief in myself. I think that's part of what the challenge can be. Um, But at the same time, I, yeah, I I think that for me, it, 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 it creates a lot of energy when you're focusing on not necessarily a monetary outcome, even though that would be nice, 
but really um, how can we affect, how can we contribute and make change? Uh, for me, that's a driver, a driving force to, to want to do the work. And I think through the process, I'll derive a lot, you know, from that. Right. And it makes sense. You serve a greater need in a larger environment or a larger audience, and there will be a monetary law of circulation come back to you to help uh, benefit you for your idea and your work, right? I believe that, yeah. You tapped into something that I want to dive into a little bit more. Sure. Uh, because we are talking about how can you have a, a life that you feel like you're winning without an overall big plan, or at least it's not completely right. clear, right? And you, you tapped into the self-doubt uh, piece. And so could you tell me about that transformation of yourself, uh, of any type of self-doubt, and yeah. what have you learned to help surmount that for yourself? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we have talked about, and you've, you've taught about a saboteur, um, mm -hmm. that part of your inner mind that, you know, is feeding you the lies and narratives that keep you safe. Um, it's a fear-based narrative that, you know, instinctually evolutionarily, we have been designed to fear, um, our outside world and we, mm -hmm. it, it's, we have to overcome that somehow, or, you know, suffer the consequences of, of living a life that's not our fullest. Um, I, you know, I, I think that I don't know that I'll ever overcome self-doubt. I don't, I think I used to think that that was the thing I needed to do. And that again, became a point of self-flagellation where I was just like <laughs> right. shaming myself for not being able to be this thing, uh, this person, you know, this Tony Robbins, um, who I used to follow quite a bit. Um, and I, again, I, I think that it's a process. I think through, you know, and I, I advocate for mental health. I, I go to my own therapist. I, I fundamentally believe that through that process, I have discovered that there is a this is a lifelong process, you know, like you just don't overcome self. I was talking to a buddy of mine who, you know, his company is worth a hundred million dollars plus. And I was asking him for some advice about how to, you know, raise money and what his thoughts are. Should I take venture cap? Should I just try and bootstrap? I'm like, did you, you know, and, and he raised a very large round recently, I think a series B or C and, and the multiple millions. And it's a, and you know, he, 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 he told me, I'm like, Hey, do, do you doubt yourself ever? And he's like, dude, all the time, you know, yeah. like, um, it's not ever a situation where even at that level where he's had ultimate confidence in what he's doing, that he doesn't doubt himself. I think that's okay. Doubt is part of the process, nice. but I think with that, you have to balance that narrative with like, okay, what can I do today to move the needle a little bit further? Um, and I, I think through the constant ritualistic practice of doing at least one or two. I know Tony Robbins talks about his top three things in the day that he does. Right. That that actually really works um, to to counterbalancing that that negative voice that comes yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Robbins, you know, one of my mentors as well, yeah. and he um, there's certain things that just are now programmed in my own mind is uh, progress equals happiness. And so wherever I can find progress and actually take it in, because I think we're also conditioned to not look at where we are making progress and stand upon it. It's almost like we're anti-celebration, anti-self-recognition. And I've had to learn to say, no, I'm doing good. And yes, this is progress. And yay me, as opposed to just always forcing the next thing and it's not good enough. Have you ever had that understanding for yourself that the not good enough, as I call it, the virus gets in there and doesn't allow you to even celebrate the progress you've made? 
Yeah, I think it's also a really interesting thing that is, I want to say, shared universally amongst all all of us, right? And this is something that in therapy too, (laughs) you know, we go to our therapist with our problems. Mm -hmm. And then when we resolve our problem in this one area, and I was saying this to her the other day, it was like, hey, you know, this this is all good, good, and good now. Uh, now moving on to this other problem. <laughs> Always looking at the problems. <laughs> we we don't we don't really stop and celebrate. You know, we don't we don't take those moments as much. We go to you know I, for some reason in my head popping up right now is my graduation from college. Mm-hmm. You know, those ceremonies are actually really important. Besides the sometimes bad speakers that speak, but like that moment of like <laughs> celebration is something that I think you know, that's gratitude. And that's something that I feel like we and me, um, I include myself in this, just do not spend enough time in, um, in our lives and takes active focus to do that. And it's, it's equally, it's super important to do that. Um, I don't do it enough. I think I need to do it more because you're right. I think that virus part does spread very, Mm -hmm. very much so. Yeah. Not good enough has got so much gravity to it, you know, that like like a black hole of gravity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk about the other aspects of your life, because what I love sure. in, your, in your bio and the intro is that there are so many facets to your life. And sometimes, you know, culturally, we keep stepping back into this cultural meme mm-hmm. or thought form is that it wants to have us, you know, you need to focus on one thing or you need to finish what you started. Yeah. And so there's so many things there that would prove to us that we can't have this full, robust, um, you know, a live life with so right. many things going on. So you're a CEO. We know this of a tech startup Indrily. Awesome. And way to go. I can't wait to use the app. Hopefully I'll never need to use the app, but if Hope I so. did, I'm <laughs> totally going to be using it. Uh, musician, um, which I recently saw one of your TikToks and I even comment <laughs> on the TikTok. I'm like, dude, you've been holding out on me. Yeah. So you do, you do impressions. You do impressions of all these well, actors. Yeah. Well, that vir- that that particular TikTok called for passing the phone over <laughs> to <laughs> to to the a celebrity. I saw I saw one actor do it, like for other celebrities. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I've, I've done some other celebrity stuff. Why don't I just try it? And like, I have not been a social media person ever. I just, but I was again, I was talking to a different friend the other day, and he's like, look, you need to, you just need to be on social. That's that's where the eyeballs are. Like, if you're trying right. to you know, sell your company, um, you just need to, you need to be on social. So that's what actually prompted me to start. And the most organic growth you're going to get right now uh, from people looking at videos is going to be on TikTok, even though you might think it's for like this younger generation. Trust me, everyone's on there right now. Um, and it's, it's just a great way to like, you know, on YouTube, I probably get three views right. on, on TikTok. I'll get 500 to 600 views. Um, and mm-hmm. th- that's why I started doing TikTok. Yeah. I've wasted so much time on TikTok and I, I have to, <laughs> I try to tell myself it's wasted time, but I enjoy every minute of it. So, yeah. uh, and you can quickly go through the things you don't like and get to the, that's things, also true. Right. Which I love. Yep. And would you mind doing an impression for us? <laughs> <laughs> Putting you on the spot. <laughs> oh my goodness. I wasn't expecting that. I know. Uh, and I, I wouldn't consider myself an impression guy. You were um, doing voices. How do we want to? I did it? some voices. I had my guitar. That was helpful. Yeah. Um, I did. Oh, yeah. I did a Jack Nicholson. It's terrible. You're going to make me do this right now, Tina? <laughs> oh. Trying to think. Your Jack Nicholson was good though. (laughs) (laughs) But see, it's only good when I'm like, I eat breakfast 300 yards away from 4,000 Cubans trained to kill me. Um, (laughs) uh, What's... 
Oh man, I I'll have to think about it. Maybe we'll awesome. circle back. You also did. I think you did a Bob Dylan. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that one's a little bit easier, you know. I, I don't know what he talks like this, but he certainly sings. There's this whole like Tom Petty, Bob Tom Dylan Petty. idea I've had because like they sound right. so. I think it's actually they out they there. They grew up around each other, by the way. Like Tom Petty grew up under the shadow and with Bob Dylan. Oh really? Oh well, yeah, they, yeah. Totally influenced him. Talk like this a little bit. You know, I don't know if that's a speaking voice. It's certainly their singing voice. Or brain like injury. <laughs> <laughs> they needed injury for that. That's right. Yeah. And so um, what's your vision for injury whenever the the world adopts it and catches on? Because it does take education of your if your demographic yeah. and of your audience that needs the service, right? What's your vision? My vision is that for every aspect of personal injury law or any other areas of law where this checklist concept can come into play, that you that a user can utilize this service in order to get transparency, get peace of mind, get more money in their pockets. Like technology in my fundamental belief is like, it needs to make the process better and significantly so. Um, in a way that that totally transforms the way certain businesses in the past have been practiced. I still think there is an absolute need for attorneys. I think there's an absolute need for trial lawyers. And I think that certain parts of their business though, uh, are, have been priced in a way that is that way because it's been protected for so long. And I think that technology is really good at trying to disrupt those areas in order to what benefit it's the democratization of things and i think that it's important like my vision is that this company at least initially uh, uh, and eventually like reduces the costs associated with with certain legal services in particular to start out with personal injury um, just right. because I, I know for a fact that people could do it it's not it, it they can be empowered to do it and why not if if it means that like you your paycheck for the year goes up 10% because a lawyer didn't get that money um you know it's right. it just seems like this is not rocket science so like why not you know and it's the right time we are at yeah. a time where AI is now being used and some people will mm -hmm. say um AI is basically an enemy right uh, mm -hmm. that AI, we're becoming the matrix or we're becoming Terminator, different things, you know, that that resistance to utilizing technology to benefit human life. And yeah. yet, whenever we open our eyes, we're going to see that it's everywhere. And the truth is, we're be not becoming dependent on it. We're, we're partnering with AI. And as I'm hearing what you're saying, I had a picture of, you know, surgeons that whenever, you know, years and years ago, all surgeries took place with a mm -hmm. human operating on another human. And now yeah. it's, it's very common to have robots and AI mm -hmm. doing the smaller procedures mm -hmm. that can be very well done precisely with a robot as opposed to human hand. Yeah. And surgeons appreciate that because surgeons do not necessarily want to do the smaller cases, the more, you know, mm -hmm. what would you say, the rote, you know, type of cases. Yeah that are there, although they're still necessary. So is there a possible evolution of law in itself and the legal um, mm -hmm. role in humanity to possibly elevate humanity? Because now these smaller, um, more, I don't want to use the word mundane because it sounds right. bad, but they're, they're <laughs> the, the more rote type of cases are now being handled by technology, which gives lawyers the chance to do something more beneficial.
Yeah. And, you know, I think I, yes, to answer your question, I think, I think that technology can and, and will and does and has been shown to, in my opinion, benefit, um, especially, you know, in, in the law. Sorry, Tina, I have to plug my computer in here. <laughs> yes, plug your computer in. <laughs> um, in the law side, that technology has helped there? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think, I think it, the, the aversion to this elevation, like I, uh, when you say elevate humanity, what do I think about? I think that people who are naysayers might think that, well, you know, how are you elevating humanity if you're losing, if people are losing jobs? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it's fear-based, right? It's kind of like coal miners who are afraid of, you know, who just want to keep the coal industry going because they need to put food on their table and they don't know another industry to work in. They've been doing it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's coming for everyone, you know, and now it's coming to the more higher end, quote unquote, higher end jobs of, of law and, and doctors. I don't, I think our resources as, as like the human, the human, like all of us together, not just, I, I think like humanity needs to allocate resources better to those areas that are going to be beneficial in the aggregate, like for everybody. I personally think there are too many personal injury lawyers out there. I think there's too many pre what we call pre-litigation personal injury lawyers, people that just get cases, go and settle them quickly, uh, pay have to pay their operational costs. So they might not be paying, getting the best settlements for their clients. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of that happening. And I think any area that can be checklisted, that technology can can dip into would allow for, again, it's a mindset thing, right? Like the factory worker that loses their job, if that's their focus, then technology sucks and humanity is not elevated. Right. But if that factory worker is like, well, I really wanted to be a writer or I really wanted to do this other thing. Now here's my opportunity to do that. And, well, you know, I think there's a lot of fear there. And I think government personally, I think governments need to step in to help retrain people or need to be some programs to help with that. I think there is some problems in our, in our society in America with, with how it's structured in terms of how capitalistic it can be and how little is put towards the retraining of, of people. I think if there was a systematized way to retrain people into new positions that don't that technology does not fit in then yeah that's i think that's amazing but i think people don't trust that that is there because frankly it's not so until so we demand it until we demand so, it. yeah sure yeah what i love is that we are in a country that when we gather and we can have a common voice toward yeah. a need and we can become a, a a unified power towards something change can happen uh sure. we do live in a world where it's easy to complain and not take action. <laughs> so yeah. what I love yeah. about you is that you've seen the vision, you've, you've followed that seed of inspiration and you're pulling those things around you that are needed to make it happen um, as you witness it. And so yeah. the whole theme of today is understanding how to win in life without planned out goals. So it's going toward that, as you said, you know, moving the needle forward each day so that you can reach those outcomes. Yeah. And I think we, we didn't really dive into the fact that I have multiple interests and multiple things that pull me in multiple directions and the thought processes that I've followed or the things that I've been coached in on uh, terms of like online stuff um, has always been like, you know, focus on this one thing and you mm -hmm. could, you can go so much further. 
but that's fucking boring to me. Like I, this is not me. And yeah. I have so many different interests. I, you know, I remember uh, in high school or something, I wrote a paper about the Renaissance man. There was this mm-hmm. concept of the Renaissance man. I the love Renaissance, the Renaissance man, man was like someone, you know, they, they have this thing like Jack of all trades, master of none. We've had these things, but like, we also had the Renaissance man who was, you know, in, in various different areas of interest mm-hmm. can one, you know, exert influence. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's a balanced life for me. Like I love being a dad. I love being a husband. I, I love starting and working on new ideas. I love tapping into my artistry as a human, which I believe we all fundamentally have, but kind of put away because there's no generalized monetary reward for it. Um, right. Like there's so many areas of life that are fascinating and interesting. And I encourage everyone to pursue them simultaneously and look like, at the end of the day, I guess it just depends on the type of person you are and what drives you in life. Uh, I think for me, it, there's just a curiosity in so many different areas that I want to, I don't have to excel in all of them, but I like to participate in all of them. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to whenever you put your head on the pillow at night, do you feel right. happy? Right? Yeah. Do you feel fulfilled Completely. and you did a good day, right? Totally. And then there will be that time where we put our head on the pillow and it'll be the last time <laughs> we do that. And so last to, day in this life. Yes, for in sure. This life, right? <laughs> and then we get to look back and go, did I do well? Like overall. Yeah. And I, I'm one of you, Ramesh. I, I, yeah. and so people ask me, they go, how do you have the time to do everything you do? And I don't look at it from that perspective at all. You know, I, you know, I just love life and I love the richness of life right now. I'm taking Spanish lessons. I'm learning nice. how to hip hop, literally. Yeah. Um, it's more hop than it is hip, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking these dance lessons and it's so fun. Um, you know, my, my art, my, my drawings, uh, my writing, writing a book, uh, I've got this wonderful podcast. I'm running a company, two companies. And, yeah. um, and so I think it's our perspective, don't you? I mean, if I yeah. were to wake up at the beginning of the day and have the perspective, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to get everything done that I need to do. I'm already yeah. like, behind because I'm just rushing and not knowing how I'm going to do it. However, if I meet the day with amazing energy, no matter what comes, you know, my perspective is like, let's do this. It's a whole different game. Completely. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I think it does require a certain amount. And this is where I kind of have a hard time sometimes in the morning is like, I haven't set myself up for today to be like, a day that I could feel productive. Like I find myself scrambling at times to be like, what do I do now? What do I do next? I find in the most efficient days, meaning the days that like I get the most value out of, um, I put my head in the pillow. I'm like, yeah, today felt like a really good day. Why? Like upon reflection. Oh yeah, Ramesh, you actually did put in a little bit of time the night before to set up those three things that if you did those today, no matter all the things on your checklist, you, you actually feel accomplished um, in, in that, in that regard. Um, and I think, in talking to you and having our conversations, you know, you talk a lot about energizing behavior, like stuff that energizes you. And that's not to say like there's stuff throughout the day that doesn't energize you right. that you can't work on that. You kind of have to, as part of just participating in whatever work you're working on. But, um, but I think you're right. I think at least having one or two things that energize you as part of your day really can carry you forward. Yeah. Um, there's something I learned about Elon Musk here recently. I was, um, I, I like LinkedIn. It's actually my favorite social media platform yeah. because um, I read a lot. And there was this article that passed through and I, I clicked on it and read it. And it was about Elon Musk's awkward, silent moments. Mm, you <laughs> shared that like, with me. I remember. I know. I, I love it. And um, yeah. I'm like, I have those. I have awkward, silent moments. And those are the times where in the middle of the day or in a meeting or a conversation, if the thoughts aren't coming through, 
and there isn't any next step. Like somebody may ask a question of me and I don't have the answer or we've reached an impasse of the conversation and it doesn't organically have any energy to move forward in a particular direction. I simply go quiet and I'll be quiet and I'll be thinking and people will know that sometimes I'll say I'm thinking mm -hmm. most of the time my team knows she's thinking. And in this article with, with Elon, he said, they said that like 15 minutes can go by. They're all just sitting around watching him think <laughs> <laughs> like I would have one of these meetings. Mine does not go 15 minutes, but it goes back to this time. You're, you're saying, okay, I can plan the night before. Yes. Optimally. If we woke right. up with a plan, of course. However, what if during the day we don't mm -hmm. have a plan and we just sit with ourselves and some stillness. I have a meditation pillow down here. For those that aren't watching the video, I'm holding mm -hmm. up a meditation pillow. So I have this little pillow and people always ask, why do you have the pillow? It's because when I lose thoughts, if I can't decide which way to go, or it feels anxious making, like I'm supposed yep. to be doing this. Oh my God, what am I supposed to be doing? If I've mm -hmm. got anxiety in my system, I sit on that pillow and I wait till I find the calmness and the direction because it's going to mm -hmm. have energy. Yeah. And then once I have that, I was like, okay, no, that, that's what I'm going to do. And recently, since I read that article, I've been thinking, I wonder if Elon does this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a decision yet. I'm going to find the decision. It's going to find me. What do you think yeah. about that? I, you know, I was reading that. And the, the minute I, I started reading that, I started thinking about Glennon Doyle, who my wife gave me the book on Tame to read. And she had read it. And I was like, okay, I'll read this book. And she also had a very similar thing where, you know, finding her true north from her center, from her soul, from her heart, had, had, it seemed like that was a challenge for her as she started to become more and more popular, as she started to build a team around her. And she realized that the decision-making process that she needed to make was one where she needed to take a moment. So she would like Elon, like sit in a meeting and, the, and like someone asked her a question and everyone would have different opinions about it. And in right. the past, she would just go with one of those people. And I could totally relate to that because look, that offloads any responsibility that you might have despite the resentment that you're going to have later on when that thing doesn't work out for you. But guess what? You didn't make that choice for yourself. Someone else made that choice. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to agree with you because I'm too afraid to go inside and, and make a choice that's true to me. And or not present. Or yeah. Not and present. not sure. Not present to make a decision for yourself. Yeah. Oh, you know, and I think, and then, so for her, that, that was also the thing um, where she would then, I think she had her quiet place and it started doing meditation in the closet because she had a couple of kids or whatever, and like just needed space. And that was her quiet time. And then she would transfer that time into meetings like Elon does, I guess, to just someone asks a question, she needs to make a decision. She closes her eyes and then goes inside. And it's interesting. I think through therapy, I learned this <laughs> that little voice that like spouts out this little inner monologue we all have going on that we kind of silence at times and then voice out at times. I started like looking into that more. So like when someone says something in therapy, a common thing to say is like, what's coming up for me is, and I did what they call emotionally focused therapy. So it's, it's a different type of therapy modality, but like what's coming up for me is this. And I would hesitate initially. And then I would just be like, okay, this is what's coming up for me. Um, and I, I believe that is your inner voice. You know, that is the thing that like that image came up for a reason that that word came up for a reason, like explore that. Um, and yeah, I, I, tr I believe that. Mm -hmm. And so without planned out goals equals having some stillness moments and allowing <clears throat> yourself to not have the planned out goals when it doesn't yeah. have energy.
Yeah, no. And I think that's the thing. I think like you could plan your day. Sure. But you know, there's going to be a lot of things that happen throughout your day that are unplanned. And I guess in the business world, we call it business agility. Like just having, just being agile enough um, is, is to be flexible enough to know, you know, what, maybe what to do next or maybe not what to do next, but, you know, think about it and move, move forward from there from a true center. I love it. I think we'd have a lot less resentment and blame and, um, totally excuses Yeah, (laughs) if we came from that place. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, how can they find your startup? I know it's, it's coming about and you're even asking for some participation for people to be, I guess for lack of a better term, guinea pigs or uh, focus group (laughs) members (laughs) in this, uh, where would you love people to go find out more? Sure. If you go to www.injury, that's like injury with an L. So I-N-J-U-R-L-Y dot co, my company, injury.co. Um, there's a page there. It gives you information about what, what the service is, what it provides, what, I, what we're trying to do, what our vision is. There'll be a little video of me kind of explaining all that. Um, you could fill in the contact information there. And yeah, I'm, I'm, fa- I'm interested in knowing what I, the user experience is. If, if anyone's been in a, in a car accident and wants to talk about it, and has thoughts about it, you know, just go fill out a form for me. Um, you're not going to go on any email list or anything like that. I'll just go right to my email. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll email you back and I'm, I'm, I'd love to know about what your experience is and you could participate in building a, a brand new revolutionary product that I believe will transform the personal injury industry, um, yes. forever and for the better. Um, and it should come from the users and kind of how, how their experience was to inform all of that. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So definitely help out, uh, Ramesh, uh, Mr. Ramesh Reddy and, uh, go over to injurely.co and participate because you're going to be in that very foundational beginnings. Yeah. Something that's going to be oh, you, you can also text me at uh, okay. 504-684-5455. That's 504-684-5455. And just shoot me a text and we can do it that way too. Awesome. I love this. Thank you so much for being our guest on Light Your Life. It's always great to hang out with you. You're a man, uh, jack of all trades, but it's definitely the Renaissance man. And I'll be <laughs> definitely stalking you on TikTok. And for those that are <laughs> listening, maybe this is your first episode of Light Your Life. I'm your host, Tina Marie St. Cyr. Do subscribe because all the lives of the people that you get to meet here through Light Your Life will completely help yours and share the word. Thank you so much. Hanging out soon. Bye-bye. That was so energizing. I have takeaways that will help my life and I'm sure you do too. To get show notes, bonuses, gifts for you from our guests and more, head over to lightyourlifepodcast.com and be sure to bookmark this podcast as one of your favorites. I am Tina Marie St. Cyr, founder of Bonfire Coaching and creator of the Bonfire Method. Thank you so much for being connected. Now my homework for you summon the courage to light your life a little more and go make progress on your dreams today.